TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Jake DePew is our special guest today on the Touch Ball Podcast. Covers the Twins and the minor leagues for 1500ESPN.com. Jake, welcome back to the Touch Ball Podcast. Thank you. It is good to be back. Remember you made a lame joke the last time you joined? And uh, I'm just glad we didn't watch this intro the same way as we did last time. As am I, and I'm trying to come up with another lame joke right now, and I can't, <laughs> which maybe is its own lame joke. Yes. So, yeah. uh, well, a good reward for um, the listeners who've hung with us this far into the podcast. Um, a couple things I want to get to today, Jake. We're going to talk about the September call-ups. There's maybe more on the way. I might, you know, hold you down. They're not public now. They haven't been announced or anything like that, but you probably got a, an informed view of who might be coming up for the Twins in the second wave. We'll talk briefly about that because as of this recording, we don't have that info. We'll talk about the actual September call-ups. We'll talk about the non-September call-up of one Byron Buxton and then get into some minor league prospects who've impressed you this year. Um, so that's what you can look forward to on this episode. I'm kind of underwhelmed about the uh, September call-ups, the first wave. i got to be honest. Chris Jimenez basically just takes Bobby Wilson's spot. That's fine. Tyler Duffy's been up and down all year. We know who he is. Johnny Field, I think we're pretty sure who he is. Matt Belisle is activated from the disabled list. I know we know who he is. And then the surprise, Andrew Vasquez, who I frankly I don't know very much about, kind of rocketed through the system. What was your take on the first five guys before we get to sort of that possible second wave? Yeah, I think I think I agree with with you in in the sense of of being underwhelmed and uh, and surprise that obviously Buxton was not one of them and, and we'll get more into that um, in a little bit but uh, Vasquez is the guy who certainly intrigues me the most he has rocketed up the twin system he was in single a he was in high a Fort Myers two months ago he was a, an all-star in the Florida State League um, he is a, a wipeout uh, slider that he throws a lot um, and that's where he gets a lot of swing and miss his strikeout rates were very high this year and that's obviously what they saw and, and, and why they're willing to give him a shot. He had a pretty brutal debut uh, where he made two errors in two-thirds of an inning and then also uh, failed to, uh, to, to pick a guy off second when he was just sort of right there for the taking. But whatever, we'll chalk that up to nerves. But um, taking a broader view of it, I, I think he's a really intriguing guy because of his strikeout rates and, and just how he's rocketed up the system. As far as the rest of the guys, I mean, we know Tyler Duffy, right? We know what he can do and, and who he is. Uh, Belial's just there essentially as uh, an assistant bullpen coach to, <laughs> to Eddie Guardado. Um, yeah, and then Jimenez, it's, it's nice to have back, I guess, for the locker room presence, but you get the sense that this is probably, um, possibly his last month as a major leaguer from, from some of the stuff that I've read. So, yeah, I'm not particularly um, excited about any of the initial guys that have, that have uh, come up, but there are, I think, going to be some more here uh, in a few hours. We're recording this on Labor Day at about 2 o'clock, so uh, there will be some more guys coming up. Yeah, um, wanted to ask you about that. So we're watching Twins Astros right now um, at Casa de Wetmore, and uh, Kyle Gibson 
versus Keuchel is underway. By the time you're listening to this, obviously you know what happened. I don't right now, so that's all kinds of fun. What I'm, um, I'm curious to know who you think is going to, or let me phrase the question differently because, because otherwise, you know, I'll make you guess three names and you'll get like three out of four or whatever. And then people can say you were wrong. The way I can phrase the question so you can't be wrong is who would you like to see as a September call up for the twins? Keeping in mind, there's probably two camps of guys. Um, one is just sort of depth reinforcement for September where, okay, Maybe Williams asked a Dio fills, fulfills the need for a third catcher. Um, but that's one type of September call-up. The other is, hey, here's a guy like, say, Vasquez, for example, mm-hmm. who's been successful um, enough to warrant a look as a legit audition for the 2019 team. Who, who are some names that you'd like to see in that mix? Yeah, first of all, let me say I'm impressed with uh, Cassidy Wetmore and, and the, the living room <laughs> arrangement that you have here yeah. is, is quite nice. But... Uh, yeah, there are a few guys. Nick Anderson, who I've written two puff pieces on now, um, but but uh, but he's but he's deserved the puff pieces because he's put together a, a fantastic year, and uh, and he's one of us. That's right. And that and and so if for no other reason, um, <laughs> not to be overlooked. Right, right. But but strip away the, the the good story, the fact that he's one of us and that he was in you know not just independent ball, but amateur ball four summers ago. He was playing town ball four summers ago in Minneapolis. Um, so the fact that he's gone from that to potentially uh, about to make his, his big league debut um, is pretty impressive. Uh, but if, again, if you strip away all of that, his numbers are there. His strikeout rate is around 36% right now. I think in his last outing, he threw two scoreless innings and struck out five. Hmm. Um, he has a mid nineties fastball, curveball, and changeup. He gets a lot of swing and miss from the strikeouts or from the fastball. Um, now you could argue, of course, everybody throws ninety five in the big leagues, and and we'll see if he gets that kind of swing and miss um, if, if and when he comes up. But he is definitely somebody who's intriguing, and he's going into his rule five year, so it's possible that they could lose him. So my guess is they they'll bring him up because they want to evaluate what he's got and whether he can get big league hitters out. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, so that so that's one guy. Jake Reed is another guy. Mm-hmm. We talked about him way back on this podcast six months ago in spring training, uh, when you put him on your your twenty five man roster. Yes. Um, after, How's that after, looking? After a great bullpen session, uh, so that that didn't turn out, but I think he could be uh, on the active roster uh, in in a day or two. Uh, that's I think less certain than, um, or I think he has maybe less of a chance than than Anderson, but but certainly a good shot. Um, other than that, you know, there are a couple of other relievers. John Curtis is a guy that we know. Uh, he could be back. As far as position players, they're really, again, outside of Buxton, I, you know, there's not a lot of big names that I think are going to be coming up. I don't think Nick Gordon's going to come up because he's slumped badly. Lamont Wade could come up, but he hasn't had a great year at AAA either since getting promoted. So, you know, I honestly – and then Zach Granitz hurt. So, mm. you know, I just – I just don't know that there are going to be a lot of position players coming up. So I think the guys to be most excited about are relievers, uh, which isn't, uh, you know, for your average Twins fan, I get that that doesn't exactly move the needle a lot. But, but yeah, Anderson and, and Reed are two guys, I guess, um, that I'm looking at as, as possible to, uh, to come up here. One of the takes that I get, um, if you want to look at that, go ahead, whatever, um, one of the takes that I get criticized for is that the Twins are going to have to add to the bullpen this winter 
you know more about the state of relievers in the minor league, certainly, than I do the state of the 40-man. Um, I mean, we didn't talk about Luke Bard, but, you know, he's one of these, like, dozen seemingly relievers right. who has a mid-90s fastball, some swing and miss, and that we've been hearing about, oh, you know, he's he's a big big league reliever waiting to happen. Are you confident with the pieces that there are, or... Um, or is there something too that the twins are going to need to add some back end stability, if if they expect like look here's the let's accept this is given the twins are going to compete in 2019 they think they're a playoff team if we accept that as given do they need to supplement this bullpen or are there truthfully enough live arms down there that that could round out an honest competitive bullpen in 2019. Well, the thing about relievers, as you well know, is that it's difficult, other than guys like Craig Kimbrell, right, it's difficult to predict from year to year how these guys are going to, there's just a lot more variability than in position players or even starting pitchers, I would argue. So is it possible that they have enough live arms down there to to have a borderline playoff caliber bullpen? It, it, I suppose it's possible. If Luke Bard, who, had, who has like a 5 ERA in AAA this yeah. year, but if he can somehow figure out how to translate that elite spin rate into uh, not just swing and miss, but you know, keeping uh, runners off the base paths, which he struggled to do, then maybe he could contribute. Maybe John Kurz can figure out uh, how to get the walk rate down because it's been really high, and that's why he hasn't been up. Maybe Nick Anderson turns into you know the next Trevor Hildenberger and is this sort of late bloomer who nobody knew about who thrives in, in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. It's possible. My personal opinion is that while maybe one or two of those guys works out, they're essentially still lottery tickets. They're basically still prospects. And so, yeah, I mean, I think if they want to compete and they want to build a bullpen that can compete with, you know, New York and Boston and those types of teams, they're they're going to have to add in free agency. And uh, and that's why I thought it was interesting that they traded Fernando Rodney mm-hmm. because he had a, a team-friendly uh, option for next year. So capped to the upside of that option in my opinion and you got something so i i'm not here to pick apart the trade deadline i i want to get into buxton though because that is a spot where i think you and i both agree that they deserve some criticism or at least this warrants a longer conversation if you're a touch mall listener of course you've already heard us talk about buxton you've read endlessly about buxton and you've probably posted on some forums about buxton or maybe on my facebook page what i'm suggesting is that there's still more room for discussion and we'll get into that in a second Jake but I've got three rapid fire questions for you based on your um, experience uh, covering this team and just whatever your gut says three rapid fire questions for the 2019 season on what you personally would do not necessarily what you think the twins will do the rapid fire round begins with uh, Trevor May, starter or reliever in 2019? Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Uh, I'm going to say reliever. Fernando Romero, starter or reliever in 2019? Boy, putting me on the spot here. I'm going to say reliever again. And Nick Gordon makes his big league debut in the 2019 season, true or false? True, but not until late season, and I realize that's more than just true or false. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. We make all kinds of accommodations on the podcast. Uh, We'll go on a quick break and talk Byron Buxton and a couple of prospects that impressed you, Jake, this year um, in your your coverage. Mm -hmm. 
Excellent. Thank you to the fine sponsors of the podcast. Um, we really appreciate your work. Now, let's get back to the fun stuff. Byron Buxton not going to be called up. Word is he was sent home. Uh, so his AAA season is also effectively done. Let me pull up his numbers here just so we uh -oh. have completeness. Okay, obviously everyone knows his big league numbers, or at least they know they weren't good. Did you know they were this bad? 156 with a 183 on base, 200 slugging. There's a Granted, caveat. There's that a caveat. was 94 plate appearances, and he was hurt for most of yes. them. Now, the last 12 games in Rochester, I, I looked this up and did the math yesterday because I'm that kind of nerd. Um, where did I put his numbers in this five thoughts column on Byron Buxton? Okay, so he in his last like dozen games at AAA Rochester, before they made the decision that the wrist was just bugging him too bad and there wasn't going to be any outfield plate appearances to go around. Um, Can I just interrupt <laughs> for one second to say that this is a great moment that I'm sitting here in your living room as Robbie Grossman just doubled. <laughs> your, your guy. I just, I'm happy to share this. Yes. Like I said, not enough room to go around for Byron Buxton. <laughs> well, with Robbie ripping doubles in Houston and Johnny Field holding down the fort in the corner of that spot. Right, right. So uh, th these numbers, take them for what they're worth. It's 12 games. Who cares? But Buxton hit 365 with a 400 on base, 596 slugging, which is kind of stupid. <laughs> like, or just... Not quite video game numbers, because in video games you can set the cheat codes and just be the dominant Hall of Fame player, but that's all-star. Yes. Uh, very easily all-star caliber. With his defense, that's MVP caliber. I know it's the International League, we're not talking the majors, but for the, the woke stats heads among us, that's a 430 weighted on base average. I mean, that's, that's good performance, whether his wrist was aching or not. Um... I can't remember what my question was in all of this, but what is your assessment of the Twins choosing not to bring Buxton along for the ride in September and at least try to give him a little bit more big league seasoning before his year was finished? I'm going to try to not go on forever with this question because I could and I have a tendency to do that. Um, but my initial reaction to it was I cannot believe that they're that they're doing this um, for a couple of reasons. First, like you said, he was hitting. He was finally hitting, and he is finally healthy, right? Although they're they're trying to use that as an excuse, I don't think an argument holds a that argument holds a lot of validity when you say he's not healthy and yet he's playing every day at AAA. That that makes no sense. That doesn't hold up to basic logic, and that to me is a ridiculous argument. So. I don't think you can say he's not healthy. Uh, I, you obviously can't say that, that he wasn't performing because of what you just said. Um, and I believe the third thing that Levine said is there isn't playing time available, which is also ridiculous. Uh, even if Rosario was healthy, there should mm -hmm. be always playing time in September of mm -hmm. a meaningless season for your quote-unquote franchise player, right? So, so none of those arguments hold a lot of weight. It's clearly a service time play. There's, there's just no question about that. And... I get it from their perspective. I get the logic behind holding him back and getting the extra year. It does make sense. And the Cubs did it with Chris Bryant. Mm -hmm. uh, the Blue Jays are doing it with, with Vlad Jr. The difference is those guys hadn't come up yet. And I do think there's a difference between holding a guy in AAA for a little bit longer who hasn't yet seen the big leagues and doing it to a guy who has, what, 300-plus big league games under his belt is a big part of the franchise, was a huge part of your playoff run last year, won a platinum 
platinum glove, was you know top twenty in the MVP, right? He's he has equity in the organization, mm-hmm. and, and and there is a big difference to me uh, bet- between those two situations. And so I don't agree with it, and I think they've I think you could argue they've mishandled him mm-hmm. a lot of the year. He they they asked him to come back and play through a broken toe, and he and he did it, and it affected him. Uh, and, and so you could argue that, that that decision was part of the reason that he had such a bad year and he was in AAA for as long as he was because he just had difficulty coming back from that. And so I, I, I think they mismanaged him in that. And, and boy, to me, to, to after, after all of that, to, to then say, look, you're finally healthy and you're finally hitting, but we're not going to bring you up, mm-hmm. it just it doesn't play for me. So I, I, I don't know. I, I get it. I get why they're doing it, but I would bring him up, and I think he needs to see big league pitching. So, yeah, it's a mistake in my in my view. I tried to play devil's advocate in my column, and I'll try to do that here too. I think it's important to consider um, if it's just a service time thing, I wish we could just talk about it. Like I right. wish they could come out and say, here's why we're doing this, and here's the play, and sorry, Byron. Um, if that's the play, then you're basically saying – okay, we know this relationship is going to take a big hit and maybe it's possible, it's possible, and I think this is what a lot of people are arguing, that that's an irreparable damage done to a a relationship between player and club. But if you're saying from their perspective, well, if this works out, we get a superstar for another year, and if this doesn't work out, then it's irrelevant. That's a low-risk gamble, and you're basically saying then We've got three years to try to repair the relationship. I thought it was interesting that Thad Levine told the media, and he reiterated in his interview with Corey Provis on Twins Radio Network, saying, uh, we hope that the investment we've made in the relationship prior to this decision (laughs) carries the day. And obviously he knows that's not true. And um, I I mean, if if he thinks that's true, the Twins are hoping against hope, but I think that they're just saying that. but you'd basically be saying, okay, we've got three years to try to repair that relationship, much like the Cubs with Bryant. Uh, but in the Chris Bryant situation, he's represented by Scott Boris. He's not signing a contract extension before free agency, whereas he almost felt like that was a possibility yeah. in the Buxton situation. The Twins approached a number of their young players about extensions last winter. Team, very team-friendly from what I understand, but still. Yeah, I, yeah. I believe that, absolutely. And even yeah. if it's just exploratory conversations, they're worth having. Um but so I'm just saying that, like, maybe, maybe you're saying give him a couple years to repair the relationship that's no doubt going to be damaged by this decision um, to say that there are performance reasons for this based on a, a big league track record that's spotty. But yes. as you mentioned, it also has equity. We've seen superstar runs from him before for two months at a time. And then you're giving lots of plate appearances and defensive innings to guys like Johnny Field. Um, it's not going to be too much longer before Williams Astadio is standing out there with an outfield glove again, and or Ere Adrianza is mistakenly wandering into a corner outfield spot um, because his name was written on the lineup card there. Like, so, so you're right. None of those individual arguments really hold a lot of water. Coupling them all together doesn't really fortify that side of the argument. But, and here's the devil's advocate, which only took me 11 minutes to get to, if you think you've got multiple years to repair the relationship and you think you've got this great window sitting there when you'll have Rosario, Barreos, Sano, um, Buxton in this case, Rice Lewis, Kirilov, Greater All maybe, Fernando Romero, whatever. Name any number of names you want to. 
And if you're saying, like, let's maximize this window and, and go for it, relationships be damned, I mean, maybe there's the case to be made for that. And the second um, devil's advocate is, like, they took a pretty hardline stance with Sano, did something that you would think on the surface from the outside would really peeve him off. And the early returns, I mean, it was six weeks in the minor leagues. He lost some weight. He looks a little bit better, I think, defensively and at the plate. He's not all the way back yet to be in that superstar caliber player. But my point is just that, like, message received. So is there the case to be made that, uh, yeah, it's going to be unpopular and it's going to sting for a little while, but time heals a lot of wounds and this might be best in the long run? Yes, there is that argument to be made. And let's be honest, it's not just time that heals a lot of wounds. It's, in this case, money would heal a lot of wounds, right? If they come to him with a big contract extension offer and, you know, if he puts up a good year next year um, and, and he gets a big extension, then all of that's going to be forgotten pretty quickly. And so I think that's what they're hoping and that's what they're banking on. But here's one question I have for you. This has a reverberating effect on the clubhouse, which is already not in a great place, I would argue, this year. But do you think that this sends a message to potential free agents that, look, these guys are not out for the players. They're, they just care about the bottom line, and, they, and they're willing to, to you know, more or less screw over a player in a certain sense. Would that impact a free agent coming here, or is it all just about the money? No, I, I'd argue the opposite. I think that this could be viewed as a very good thing for a free agent who says, oh, awesome. They knew that season wasn't going anywhere and they were willing to flush it down the toilet because they only care about one thing, and it's not money. It's winning. They care about winning above all else, and they'll make an unpopular decision to get it done. I could also argue if you are a player who's earned his keep or at least earned an extended look like Jake Cave, I didn't, I didn't even see this, but they teased on the broadcast on Sunday that they were going to get Jake Cave's thoughts on the Buxton thing, and I don't know what he said. I, I should... I know what it is. I, I should pull it. that clip. What did, what did he say? Because my point is just going to be that, like, a guy like that probably feels like he earned it, whereas Buxton, I'm I'm totally, this is all speculation. I'm not getting this from anywhere, Jake Cave specifically, that top prospects are given a lot of leash, yep. and guys who perform and were not first-round draft picks feel like they have to continue to prove and prove and reprove and reprove themselves. You could argue that, like, on a, on a I don't know what this, uh, a merit basis, mm-hmm. that hitting 156 in the big leagues shouldn't get you a September call-up. Yeah, so first of all, what Cave said, and obviously it's an awkward question for him. Totally. Um, <laughs> but basically what he said is he hopes the best for Buxton, he likes Buxton, it's a difficult situation, at the same time it's a great opportunity for him. And that's exactly what he should say and yeah. what he's going to say. Of, of course for Jake, I mean selfishly for Jake Cave, this is great for him and I'm sure there's a big part of him that's happy about it. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Jake Cave does deserve a longer look, but I just, that, but Johnny Field does not deserve a longer look in my view. And and Buxton, I just, he needs big leg at-bats and to, and to say, oh, he always hits September pit, pitching. Well, that might be true, but each situation in each season is different. And this is a case where he's missed most of the season. And part of the reason, again, to, to get back to this, part of the reason he's missed most of the season is because he came back early to try to help the team. 
that's the part that bothers me about it. You know, Levine and, and Falvey, and, and again, I, I'm a big fan of both of theirs. I think overall they're doing a great job. But they always talk about dialogue with players and open communication and, and those sorts of things. Well, what kind of message does that send when when you're just making a blatant service time play? I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of communication going on there, and the communication that is going on is probably not very, very good. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just... it. To me, it, it, it sends a bad message in the clubhouse, and I'm sure guys aren't happy about it. I mean, Jake Cave is probably happy about it, but I'm sure a lot of the veteran guys aren't happy about it. So I do get where they're coming from. I understand it, and you're right. From a merit-based perspective, maybe he doesn't deserve it, but that's not the way it works, and he's a franchi potentially franchise player. And uh, to be thinking about 2022 right now when he needs at-bats desperately and needs big league at-bats and needs the confidence boost, right, because he is a guy who needs a confidence boost, to me, the way to, to, to the bet the easiest way to get him that was would be to, to bring him back up and show confidence. Devil's advocate again that if he needs the at bats in one September of one throwaway big league season and he needs to be patted on the back, then maybe he's not that superstar franchise player that you thought he was. Everything I've heard about Buckshin is he's capable of overcoming just about everything mentally. The twins did a lot of work on the psychology side of things as they were investigating taking him at the top of the 2012 draft. That one's not coming back. No, it's not. At the top of the 2012 draft, and then that they really view that as one of his strongest components. And truthfully, the struggles he's had to endure for several years now might have broken a lesser or more fragilely-minded player. I, I think that's an adverb, fragilely-minded. Sure. Um, that I, th I think, look, let me, let me say this. Let me put this on the record. I think that Buxton is going to be a superstar. I think that that player is still in there, and I think the Twins are going to reap the rewards of that. I agree 100% with that. Um, what, what I don't really like, where, where pretty much everybody that I've read and heard from, and certainly the fans I've interacted with, whether it's on my baseball newsletter or whatever on my Facebook page, I think that a lot of us are in lockstep. There are some people who said, like, Quit babying him. He hasn't earned it. But like most people are saying, how are you going to treat a guy who could be a potential franchise changer? How are you going to treat him like this? And I think the only thing that I would caution as we all race to pick up the pitchforks, and in this case, honestly, deservedly so. Um, if you don't think I'm going strong enough on this, read my column. Um, I got after him quite a bit. But like, we are all sort of relying on this premise as it's just sort of a stated fact that he is a superstar and no doubt will be, like, there's still some, I mean, there's an error bar there. And, oh, yeah. And the problem with Buxton, unlike most players, in my personal opinion, like, the error bar for Barreos is he's a three or a five starter instead of a one or a two. Yep. All right, uh, that's, that's disappointing, but still get something out of it. The error bar for Buxton is he can't make enough contact to be a big leaguer beyond being sort of a backup outfielder. Like I said, I think he's a superstar. But one of the things that this we get off the rails a little bit with on this is like it's not a slam dunk that he's going to be. And so to me, this is a little bit different than like Super 2 conversations or Ronald Acuna with the Braves or, yeah, you mentioned Vladdy Jr. Like there, there are prospects and then there's this like high degree variance of players. And to me, despite that we've seen it for a number of stretches with Buxton, I still think he has that wide like ranging variance. Sure, but let me let me ask you. So you you still believe that he will be a superstar, even though he has a lot of variance. But 
but but why would that variance change how you treat him in this particular situation in your mind? Because I, I agree, you 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 went after them in the column, not as much as Judd, who was <laughs> who I picture you know pacing around, you know, a dimly lit room and, and sweating and pounding, yeah, ripping eaters, ripping eaters and and pounding on the keyboard, but. But so in your mind, why does why does the, you know his larger range change how you how you treat him here? Yeah, so it's just it's a fair follow up. It's just that like we are saying you got to treat you just treat superstars differently. You've got to sort of I, coddle is not the right word. It sounds pejorative, but you've got to show them respect. Yes. and it's like everyone likes Buxton. Everyone you've never heard anybody say anything bad about Buxton behind the scenes. Good guy, works hard, great teammate, cares a lot about this. The yeah, but is like, he's had some extreme contact issues and he's really struggled in the big leagues. And a lot of good players have struggled in their first three years in the big leagues and gone on to be stars. And a lot of players have struggled in their first three years and you never heard their name again. Yep. And then, like, I'm just saying that you don't necessarily have to handle a first-round pick six years later with kid gloves and say... Oh well, he's he's a superstar, or he's going to be, or we're pretty sure he's going to be. So we really, really have to give him this respect. There is a certain amount, to me, there is this element of um, respect is earned instead of given, and it seems like first round picks tend to get that respect given to them a whole lot. Um, I'm against not calling him up, but the one thing that I think we go on on this side of the fence that we go a little too heavy on is this like steadfast assuredness that there's a 100% chance that he's a superstar. My only point is, like, you don't have to give him a superstar treatment if it's a 80% chance he's a superstar or a 60% chance he's a superstar. In that case, you factor in all of the range of potential outcomes, which I think the Twins are doing here. And that's fair. And, and I don't disagree with you, I guess, on that particular point. I just... They they handled Sano, I think, like... He, I, the way that they punished Sano was how you would punish a superstar who's vastly underperforming, right? Like, you, if he was just some guy, you send him down to AAA, sure. get him some at-bats. They gave him that, that superstar treatment, even though it was harsh, right? And, and it, it was a little bit humiliating to go down to single A. That was a, quote-unquote, holistic approach, to use Falvey's term that you would only do with a superstar, right? If Jake Cave is, or Johnny Field, as we're watching right now, is struggling, you don't send him down to single A to work with personal trainers. and So they give him the superstar treatment. Yeah. To me, Buxton has provided as much value as Sano in the big leagues, or, or close to it at least. Right? I mean, he, he really was, in the second half last year, I would argue one of the five best players in the American League. And so I just, I don't know why, I agree that, that there's a large range there, and there's a large range with Sano, but if you're going to give it to Sano, where there's still a lot of question marks, I think you have to give it to Buxton, who has question marks, but has been a good soldier for you, and has has put in the work, has put in the time, has a great attitude, and again, has sort of screwed himself by trying to help the team and play hurt this year. So, Yeah, yeah I'll give you the last word on that. I'll just put a lid on the Buxton discussion. There's There's... Plenty more to come. Obviously, yes. you know we'll talk about it in future articles. Um, yeah, we'll we'll be talking about it on social media. Since since Jake might not get to join us in the next couple of days for a podcast, you're at Jake Depew on Twitter, D E P U E. Um, getting close to a thousand, baby. <laughs> getting up, guys. 
Let's put Jake DePew over 1,000 Twitter followers if you touch them all, listener. He's basically begging. You should see him right now. He's groveling in my living room. Um, let's Before we get going, Jake, let's give him a reason to follow you. Uh, we, we teased at the beginning of the podcast number of guys who have impressed you. I, I want to give you one that you have to say, and then if you've got others that you want to get into, let's talk about him. But you wrote recently about Alex Kirilla, former first-round pick, missed all last year with Tommy John, has come back, and he is a force. Um, so give me a couple of prospects who've impressed you this year, whether it's based on your expectations or, hey, they had high expectations and have even over-delivered on some of that promise. Yeah, I'm going to start with Kirilov because he's just the obvious place to start. He has ascended pretty rapidly here to uh, become one of the top 30 prospects, according to MLB Pipeline, in baseball. And there's a reason for that. I mean, his bat has been unreal this year. So I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's hitting somewhere along the lines of 370 on the year, slugging close to 600 uh, with an OPS well into the 900s. And uh, Derek's going to look it up for me right now. But his bat is... is Crazy good. And, you know, he was kind of a forgotten man um, last year because he had the, he had Tommy John surgery. Which So let me just circle back and look at his numbers. So 348, 392, 578 on the year, OPS of 970. That That's a ridiculously good season for, uh, you know, his age 20 season in, uh, in single A. So... He's had an unbelievable year, and again, he he was a little bit of a forgotten man because he had the surgery last year that Tommy John had missed all of last year. We, we kind of forgot about him, and he wasn't on any top 100 lists to start this season. And boy, he has come back with, with a vengeance, and he has shown everybody why the Twins drafted him uh, in the first round two years ago. So he is very exciting, and if he continues on this track, he could be up in September of next year, honestly. I mean, he, you know, he, he really could be fast-tracked. So he's number one, and Royce Lewis is, is 1A. Um, he's really slumped in the last two weeks, which are going to bring down his overall numbers. But he has been phenomenal in, I believe, his age 19 season, uh, hitting over 300 for most of the year and hitting with power. So he has 14 or 15 long balls on the year, which is a lot more, I think, than the Twins were expecting at this stage. He's got a big leg kick, which contributes, I think, to some of that power. It also contributes to some of the swing and miss that he does have in his game, and that is a concern. Um, he, he, he does have a lot of swing and miss in his game, but... Uh, he'll, he also has a lot of time to work that out. So um, I've heard good reports about his defense at short. I think he has a much better chance to stick than, wow. than Nick Gordon, uh, for sure. Um, and if he can stick at short and be an, an average or above-average MLB defender, boy, the bat is looking pretty legit. So those two coming up together uh, are, are very impressive, and it seems like they're going to kind of stick those two guys together throughout the whole system. And, and they, you know, I interviewed both of them last in the last couple of weeks, and they both talked about how – they felt like they're part of this wave of talent coming up together along with Bruce uh, Gratterall. It's a tough name to say. I always mess it up. But uh, those three guys are all sort of coming up together. Um, and Gratterall, if you don't know, is a starting pitcher currently at Fort Myers who throws 100. Um, he's put up really good numbers this year as yeah. well. So when those guys arrive in late 2019 or 2020, I, I, I think it's they have a chance to be pretty legit. And I comment on them on social media, and people say, oh, what about Buxton and Sonot? Well, these are different guys, yeah. and they're coming up in a different system in the sense that you know it's a different regime, and, and they're emphasizing uh, different things. So you know it's they're they're totally different cases, and of course Buxton and Sano could still be superstars as well. But those three guys for sure. Brent Rooker's had a good year. I wouldn't 
classify it as a great year because he's a bat first corner outfielder and first baseman. Um, and he's slugging around 480 or 490 this year, which is solid. But again, as someone who has to hit his way to the big leagues and yeah. is, is probably a little bit below average defensively, you'd maybe ideally like to see those numbers a little bit higher because he's older. He's, I think, 23, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, again, he's had a good year. He's going to the AFL, the Arizona Fall League, and that should help him get more at-bats. I, I think we'll see him next year. Um, so I would say he's had kind of a B season. Um, as far as guys at AAA, Lamont Wade, as as we talked about six months ago, I'm president of the Lamont Wade fan club. <laughs> You're vice president. Yeah. Um, he, he, to me, is still going to be Robbie Grossman with, with uh, a better arm and, and, and better in the field. He's slumped a little bit since he's gotten to AAA. I'm not terribly worried about it because the on-base percentage is still high. He might be getting babipped a little bit um, at AAA. Uh, so I, I think I don't think we'll see him in September, as I was hoping. Uh, but he should compete for a spot next year, although Jake Cave is going to make that more difficult than yeah. we probably imagined uh, back in spring training um, or the early part of this season. Uh, Nick Gordon, unfortunately, he just based on the numbers. And again, he's 22 at AAA, so take that for what it's worth. Right? He's... he's He's well below um, the average age uh, at that level. So, have, yeah. yeah, just quickly on Gordon, and I, I think actually, let me ask you about two different players because they take opposite tracks in my mind. Yep. Nick Gordon, I am just everything I read from followers, from from other Twins observers. People are down on Nick Gordon, and I think he's going to be a good big leaguer. And conversely, people are way up on Steven Gonsalves, and I'm skeptical. I think maybe the 90-mile-an-hour fastball plays, because he can do all that high-spin stuff and great work up in the strike zone, like we've seen Jacob Rizzi have some moderate success with this year, despite not an overwhelming fastball. Gonsalves is not going to overwhelm you with stuff. I'm higher on Nick Gordon than I think the consensus is, and I'm lower on Steven Gonsalves than the consensus is. Where do you see those guys fitting in specifically for 2019? So on Gonsalves, and, and I've been hyping him quite a bit, and, and that's the difficulty of writing about prospects is that you hype, 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 and then you get, they get to the big leagues and you have to sort of reset things. Sure. But, you know, I, I would caution you to not take too much away from his, you know, three or whatever starts in the yeah. big leagues. So... You know, when Zach Littell came up and had two terrible appearances in his first, you know, right. Judd and, and Royce, who knows more about baseball, who has forgotten more about baseball than I'll ever know. But, you know, they were saying his, his stuff is terrible. You know, he, it's not going to play up here. Well, let's give these guys a little bit more time to get acclimated yeah. uh, before we start calling them busts. But, um, yeah, Gonzalez hasn't looked good. There's no question in his first two big league starts. And he struggled with control the way he struggled all year in AAA, and that is a legitimate issue. And he could pitch around it in AAA, and I talked to, to Derek Falvey in Boston about that, and he said basically the same thing. He can pitch around it, get get away with it, in other words, in AAA, and obviously he's not able to do that in the big leagues, and it's it's costing him. But I still think he can be a, a solid 4 or 5. I don't think he's anywhere near ace caliber, but I do think he can slot in at the back end of a rotation and, and eventually be... A, a solid big leaguer because he's done it throughout the minor leagues. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I agree with you that there's still questions to be answered. 2019 for both of those guys? Yes, 2019 for both of them. I think with Gordon, I think it's late 2019. We differ a little bit on Gordon. I think you're a little bit higher on him. Yeah. 
than I am because, and your argument is a good one, which is that he doesn't do anything great, but he does a lot of things pretty good. Yeah. And, and there's value in that, but he doesn't do any, anything great. And there's also, that's also a legitimate critique. He's never hit 300. He doesn't hit for power. And there are questions about his defense. Yeah. That's, that to me raises <laughs> some red flags, right? And, and again, he's 22 at AAA and he put up great numbers at AA earlier this season. And it may not even be the jump to AAA. It, you know, he slumped badly in the second half at AA last year, so maybe it's just that you know he's still getting used to the grind of a long season. So I think we'll see him next year. I think he'll be a, a big leaguer, but I think there are a lot of questions still about what he's going to do in the majors. He, it's certainly been disappointing in the second half uh, this season. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, great. Jake, uh, thanks for joining us on the Touch Mall podcast. Really appreciate you coming back. And uh, maybe in six more months, we'll have to reevaluate our positions in the Robbie Grossman uh, hierarchy, where all that all lands. But uh, yeah, if you're a Touch Mall listener, you can find Jake on social media, all the usual places. Jake, thanks for coming on. Touch Mall. All right. Thank you, Derek.